Hey everyone, this is Pastor Dave from Cross Point Church. We are a church on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it's people who've been following Jesus a long time or people desperate for a fresh start. You can learn more about us by heading over to crosspointwestallis.com. You can also watch one of our services on our YouTube channel at Cross Point Church West Allis. Our service is live streamed every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 110th and Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Allis, and our desire is to meet you in person and to get to know you so that we can serve you in the best way possible. I hope this message adds meaning and hope and power to your day. And remember, every day is all about Jesus. So last week, we kicked off a new series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we talked about the rise of a church. Thessalonians, uh, Paul and Silas had been traveling. This was their second missionary journey. They made their way through Thessalonica, which at the time was one of the biggest cities in the world. It was uh, almost 200,000 people. And it was one of the largest cities in Greece. It was in northern Greece, uh, part of the region of Macedonia. And while they were there, Paul and Silas preached the gospel in the synagogue, three Sabbaths in a row. And I think a little bit to their surprise, a lot of people believed in Jesus. There are a lot of Jews, a large number of Jews and Greeks and also prominent women believed the gospel of Jesus and a church was born in Thessalonica. They started meeting in the home of a man named Jason and uh, things were going pretty well but then things all of a sudden got, kind of went south. The local city officials and the Jewish leaders in Thessalonica heard about this new church. They got jealous. They started... Uh, persecuting the church. In fact, they went looking for Paul and, Bar- uh, pa- Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas were forced to leave early. They didn't want to leave. They wanted to spend more time there, but they were forced to leave for their own safety, and to, they went, traveled down about 60 miles south to the city of Berea, and after they left, the city officials and the Jewish leaders turned up the heat on the church, and they started applying more pressure to the church. They, wanted, they did not want the church to meet. They wanted to shut this church down. They did not want this news about Jesus to spread to other cities, but it was. I mean, you know, who can stop that? Um, but the, the city officials were pressuring the church, persecuting the church. And, you know, they, really, what, they, this happens everywhere. You know, anytime the gospel is preached, that's what happens. God's enemies show up, and they, they want to shut things down. You know what I mean? And so that's what was happening. And uh, so Paul... He had left Thessalonica and he was gone for a few months. And during that time, the church is being persecuted. And so Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how things were going. He, he cared deeply for these people. He wants to know how they're doing. He wants to go back. It's not time yet, but he wants to go back and to spend more time with them, to build them up in their faith. And Timothy brings a good report back to Paul. He says, guess what, Paul? This church is only six months old. But things are going well. They're, they're talking about Jesus with a lot of different people. They're talking about Jesus, that he died and that he rose again and that he's coming back and that he's our true king. And this news about Jesus and his gospel is ringing out from the church to people everywhere. And that was really good news for Paul. But, but guess what? There's, there's trouble in the church. And isn't there always trouble in the church? You know, it doesn't matter how great things are going in the church. There's always some kind of trouble. And here's the trouble. There were people, I think mostly from outside the church, who were trying to turn the church against Paul. 
and Silas and Timothy. And they were trying to convince these new believers that you can't, you can't trust these guys with this message about Jesus. You just can't. They're not even here. They left you. And you're being, you know, you're, now you're facing opposition and persecution and they're not even here to help you through it. You can't trust them. You should just go back to doing what you used to do and to what you used to know. And that is why Paul writes this letter to this very young but bold church in Thessalonica. And that brings us to our passage for this morning, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And what you're going to see from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 today is that God has enemies. And those enemies like to drag God's messengers through the mud and to drag their names through the mud. It was clear that there were people who were trying to um, discredit Paul and Silas and this message of good news about Jesus that they had preached. And, and again, that should not surprise us because anytime one of God's messengers is taking back territory for God, God's enemies are going to protest. God's enemies are going to deceive. And God's enemies are going to put up a fight and try to turn people in the church against their pastors and against their elders and against each other. That's just what happens. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2. You can turn in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, otherwise we'll have it on the screen. Here's what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to just read the whole passage and then we'll dive in. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. For we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Let's pause for a moment and ask God for help this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you speak to us today, that your spirit is alive in us today, and that you are here to reveal your true character to us. God, draw us near to yourself and near to each other today. We pray, Father, for uh, your presence among us, even for those who are watching from home this morning. We pray, Father, that you would speak and that you would move among us, that you would strengthen us as a church, and that you would send us out with this message of good news. 
for a dying world. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Here's how I would summarize this passage that we just read. Here's what I think Paul wants this church to know. We went all in for you. I think that's the simplest way to to say it. You know, like, there's people that want the church to fail, and there's people that want Paul to fail, but he just wants us to know, we went all in for you. And this is about relationships. That's what this whole passage is about. This whole passage is about how important relationships are to the church being strong and to the gospel moving throughout the entire world. Relationships are the key. You can't do it without relationships. Okay? So let's talk about being all in. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be all in? My, uh, our, our two, our, our, my wife and I have two teenage daughters and then some other kids. And the teenage daughters both play basketball together on the same team. And they got a new coach this year. And uh, one, the coach, before their first game, bought all the, all the um, players on the team this really cool shirt. And on the back of the shirt, in large letters, it says, All In. And that sounds pretty cool, right? But I, I, asked, I asked our daughters, I asked Brooke and Morgan this week, I was like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be all in? They're like, I don't know. I, I mean, it means we're supposed to be all in. I mean, I think we're supposed to try hard or something like that. So I don't think they gave it much thought what it meant. You know, they just thought it looked cool or whatever. But what, what, does all, what does it mean to be all in? All in is a poker phrase, right? Isn't that mainly what it is? Um, how many of you like playing poker? How many of you like playing Texas Hold'em? Are there any? Okay, there got some people in here. Every single year, uh, my family goes out to Nebraska to be with my sister and her family. And every single year now, it's a tradition, the guys all spend an entire morning playing Texas Hold'em. And it's, it's pretty much uh, my son and my favorite part of the trip. Every year, we play Texas Hold'em for at least a couple of hours. And without fail, every year, at some point, my brother-in-law goes all in. Okay, he just likes it. And it's fun. I mean, it's, it's especially fun when two or three people at the table go all in. It's like the climax of the game. It gets really intense. And we're not even playing for money. I mean, I can imagine how intense it would be if that represented our actual money. But even, even so, it's, it's so fun when, when, when multiple people at the table just go all in and all these chips are on the table. And it's exciting to see, you know, who's got the best hand. Now, I like playing poker with people who are not afraid to raise the stakes. You know what I mean? People who are not afraid to lose a hand. And I also like people who aren't afraid to lose in life. People who are not afraid to fail. And here's what I mean. A lot of people like to take things slow when it comes to relationships. That's what we're talking about, relationships. And I am not one of those people. I do not like to take things slow I like to go all in. Okay, that's just the way that I am. And I'm not saying everyone should be like that or or that everyone is like that. There's a lot of people who like to take things slow. And it just takes longer to get to know those people, doesn't it? It takes longer to get to know them because they, they are setting the pace. And you can pressure them and push them and it's probably, they might just, you know, create more distance because they're not comfortable going fast. They're not comfortable jumping in. Maybe they're suspicious of you. And maybe there's good reason for them to be suspicious of you. Maybe they don't trust you yet. Maybe they've been hurt before. And so they just want to take it slow. These are, the, these are the people who typically when they come to a church, they will 
they just are there to check things out. You know, they're sitting in the back, and that's what we do. We sit in the back, and maybe, maybe they leave right away after the service. And that is, you know, there's actually some wisdom in that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is some people stay in that phase for a really, really long time, for months or even years. You know, they keep people at arm's length. They don't let anyone too close. They don't open themselves up to anyone. They're just observers. They're not really in it for the relationships. But then there's people who come, you know, they just come and they just want to jump right in. They want to get to know people. They want to know you. They want to be known. They open their home to strangers. They share their lives. And I love it when people go all in like that in relationships. Now, I have, I have um, a lot of different kinds of friends, and I have friends who took it slow with me, and it, it took me years to get to know them and to build trust. And then I have other friends who got to that same level with me in a matter of weeks, you know? And I love all of my friends, and I love that they're different. But there is something about people who go all in in relationships that is powerful and engaging and attractive to me. And I think they're attractive to God, too. And that's the kind of person Paul was. Okay, Paul, when he went to a town, he didn't preach the gospel and then leave. He was not a weekend evangelist. This was not a public speaking tour. He wasn't promoting a book and just going from convention center to convention center and bookstore to bookstore. And then he would, you know, sign some autographs and leave. That, he was not promoting himself. He was all in for the church. And that meant that when he preached somewhere and people believed the message— he stayed. He stayed. He started sharing meals with them. He started spending time with them. He would build relationships with them. He stayed as long as he needed to until his relationships had roots. And in Thessalonica, that only took a few weeks. He was only there about four weeks. In Corinth, where he would uh, find himself later, he stayed there 18 months. In Ephesus, he stayed three years the point is, he, he was not in this for money or recognition. He was in it for the church. He was in it for relationships. He was all in for the gospel. He was all in for the gospel. And today we're going to see how vital relationships are to gospel movement. And Paul is going, Paul actually in this passage, he says, he points out three things about himself that we need to imitate. Now, now not everyone is an apostle, Okay. God isn't calling everyone to be an apostle, but God does want us to imitate Paul in certain things. And that's what we're going to highlight today. There are three things that we need to imitate. And I'm going to show you the first one uh, right here in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse, uh, 1, 2, verse 2. This is what he said. You know how badly we'd been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So here's the first thing we need to imitate in our relationships, we need to be bold, not timid. When it comes to your relationships with other people, whether that's inside the church or outside the church, we need to be bold and not timid. We need to be willing to take risks with people. We need to be willing to put ourselves out there for people. That's what, that's what he's saying. And in Philippi, we talked about this last week a little bit, what had happened? Paul and Silas, you know, they were doing the same thing, talking about Jesus. They faced opposition, they were seized. 
They were stripped naked. They were beaten with rods. This is all in public. And then they were thrown into prison. It was painful. It was humiliating. And then they left Philippi and they went to Thessalonica. And they knew that more of the same was coming. More conflict, more pain, maybe more humiliation. Did that stop them from preaching the gospel? No, it didn't. Did that change their plan or their methodology? No. They went right into the public square and started talking about Jesus. Jesus was crucified. Jesus is alive. Jesus is God's Messiah. Jesus is the only king worthy of your allegiance. And they knew it was going to cost them, but they did it anyway. And here's the thing. Where did that courage come from, according to Paul? Where did it come from? It came from God. You know, sometimes we think, oh, Paul, he was like this superhuman. He was born with amazing courage and born with all this ability. No, he wasn't. He was a pretty ordinary guy. His courage came from God. He was not a naturally gifted speaker. He was not a naturally courageous person. He was like you and me. But he was totally sold out for Jesus. He, he depended on God for everything. And he went all in for the church. And so anywhere he went, you know, everywhere he went, he was able, because of, God's, because of God's spirit at work in him, to preach the gospel boldly, even though he knew it was going to cost him. So Paul and Silas dared to preach, even in Thessalonica, and they were confident. They just knew God gave us this message for these people for right now. And God is with us right now. And that's, what, that's where their courage came from. I mean, imagine what your life would be like if you believed that God was with you no matter what. Do you think you would be a little more courageous if you believed God was with you? In any and every situation. I mean, would you think you would take more risks? Would you raise the stakes in your relationships if you believed God was with you? You know, sometimes... Um, my wife and I, out of laziness and convenience, we will sometimes send one of our kids with a message for the other kids. Have you guys ever done this as parents? You know, you're like in another part of the house or your kids are outside. So you send the kid from inside to outside. Hey, it's time to come in the house. Uh, mom and dad said it's time to come in the house. Or mom said turn off the TV. Or dad said we need to empty the dishwasher. And I got to be honest, it doesn't always work. You know, like we got to still go out and do it ourselves. Um, but, you know, I think more often than not, it probably works. Am I right, Vic? I don't know. Um, and, but here's something I know. If, like, if we were to send our son Nolan, or, I'm sorry, if, if Nolan, if our son Nolan were to go to his sisters, his four sisters, with a message from himself saying, hey, you guys need to empty the dishwasher, I know what wouldn't happen. The dishwasher wouldn't get emptied. And probably they would either laugh at him or ignore him, maybe give him a wedgie or something else uh, just so he doesn't do it again, right? Why? Because Nolan doesn't have authority in our house. He thinks he does, but he really doesn't. Um, but I have authority, I have authority in my home. My wife has authority in my home, in our home. And so when we send one of our kids in our name with the same message, it usually gets a different result. You know what I mean? 
And when you bring a message to someone in Jesus' name, guess what? You are speaking and acting under the authority of Jesus Christ, with the authority of God. And that should give you courage. You know, right before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples this. This is at the end of the book of Matthew. This might have been Jesus' last words to his disciples. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Go preach the gospel. Go make disciples. Baptize people. Teach them everything, everything I've said. And then he said, and be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So what does that mean? It means that when you obey the words of Jesus, you are acting with his authority. Okay, Jesus was transferring his authority to his disciples. And he's done that for us too. And if people oppose you, if you bring people a message from Jesus, if you talk about Jesus with people, and you tell them about your faith, you share your testimony You invite them to consider that Jesus is king or, you know, that Jesus died for them and rose again. They might oppose you. They might insult you. They might mock you. They might hurt you. But they're doing all of that to Jesus, okay, because you represent him. And you are sharing in his suffering. And guess what? That is one of the the greatest honors as a disciple of Jesus. He said it himself. I mean, there's almost nothing more honorable than suffering for the name of Jesus. It, it just strengthens your faith. It, should, it, it gave Paul more courage. It seemed to give him more courage wherever he went. And listen to what Paul said next in verse 4, he, in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we never sought it from you or anyone else. So, as followers of Jesus... We need to be bold, not timid, but we also need to be about pleasing God, not people. In our relationships, we are in relationships to please God, not people. We don't need people to like us as disciples of Jesus. That's not something that we need. We don't invest in relationships because we need the approval of people. We do it because we have the approval of God. And there's a big, a big difference between those two approaches to relationships. Okay, imagine, imagine if I just pretended to be your friend. Have you ever had someone in your life pretend to be your friend and then something happened and you realized oh, they, were, they were not my friend? They completely abandoned me when I needed them most. They were just pretending, right? Imagine if that was me. For, for those of you who know me, I mean, I realize some of you don't know me all that well, but for, for those of you who've known me for a while, imagine if you found out, I mean, imagine if you knew I was just pretending. I was just pretending to like you. I was just pretending to be your friend. I was just pretending to care about your life. I mean, why are you even, why would you be here, right? If you thought that about me. And so this is something that was important to Paul. 
He's not looking for praise from people. He is not afraid of people and what they can do to him. He, he said this to the churches in Galatia. He said, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Okay, he was, Paul was not preaching for applause. He was not preaching to get a large following after himself. In another letter to the Corinthian churches, Paul admitted something about his preaching. And this is what he said. We, we looked at this a little bit last week. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and, and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Now I want you, I want you to think about that, what Paul just said, okay? Paul wasn't going around from town to town and trying to impress people with his speaking skills. He wasn't giving persuasive speeches, Okay, and that's why you should never go up to a preacher after their message on a Sunday and say, that was a great speech. Okay, and, and I know people do that innocently, but it's because of this passage that pre preachers cringe when you say that. Because it's not a speech. It's not a speech. It's a message from God. We're not here to persuade people or impress people. We are here to simply pass on God's word to you. To share what God has said with you, okay? And if Paul were alive today, I do not picture Paul being one of those preachers who, who, is, who uses like Instagram, for example, as a platform to get this huge following and, and like posting clips of his sermons or his best quotes from the last Sunday. That's just not the kind of preacher he would be. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. That's just not who Paul was, okay? Paul would have been, Paul would be old school, he would, he would be like the, kind of, the kind of guy who would prefer face-to-face -face authentic relationships over a huge following on social media. That's the kind of man he was, okay? He wouldn't use, he, he just didn't want people to get distracted from the simple message of Jesus. He wouldn't be using like these super long personal stories or, or he wouldn't be using fake emotion or a big charismatic delivery. He just wanted people to hear the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ, he was crucified. He rose again. He's coming back. He kept it simple. You know? And we should keep it simple too. We don't need to impress people. We don't, we don't need the praise of people. We don't need people to like us. God already likes us. So when it comes to relationships, We are about pleasing God, not people. Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. So what Paul is saying is that we should be gentle, not demanding. In your relationships, be gentle, not 
demanding. You know, God wants us to invest in other people and not demand that they agree with us or that they be a certain way or that they live exactly like we do. Okay? God does, I mean, it's so often in relationships, and we don't necessarily think about this consciously, but we choose the people we're going to spend time with based on what they have to offer us instead of what God has to offer them. Too often, we approach people in relationships and we ask ourselves, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And that is not the kind of question someone who's all in for the gospel is asking. They're just not interested in that. They're more interested in how can I love this person? What must it be like to be this person? You know, they're different than me. I want to understand them better. I want to be able to serve them and put them first. those Those are the kind of questions someone who loves the gospel asks. And Paul, this is Paul. This is who he was. He loved people. He spent time with them. He shared meals with them. He made himself available to them. He cared for them like a mother with their own child, like a nurse with their own child. He didn't make demands of people. He didn't throw his weight around. He didn't lord his authority over them. He didn't act like he was the one in charge, even though he was. He was the apostle. He did have the authority, but he didn't carry himself that way. He was humble. He was gentle with people. He wasn't harsh with them. You know, if you and I had the opportunity to walk into a home or an assembly where this ancient church was gathered, I don't think we'd even be able to identify who Paul was. I don't think we would have been able to pick him out in, the, in this church of, I don't know, 50 people or 100 people or whatever it was. Because Paul, I mean, he wasn't looking for recognition. He didn't carry himself with this aura of superiority. He was humble. And when it came time for the message, for God's word to be shared, and Paul would get up in front of the people, I bet the new people were like, wait, that's Paul? That's the guy I've been hearing so much about? And you know why they were surprised? Because he didn't look or sound impressive. But no one could deny his character. No one could deny his humility and no one could deny his authenticity. And my friends, may, may, may other people say that about us. You know what I mean? I want, I want to be known for my character, for my humility, for my authenticity. Not for my speaking ability. Not for my gifts and talents. I want people to remember me for my character. Because character influences people. That's what influences people. And in a world where everyone is demanding to be heard, it is almost stunning when you find someone who's humble and authentic. Someone who is not competing with you, but who would do anything to help you win. Someone who doesn't talk over you, but who's willing to listen to you and understand you. Do you have anyone in your life like that? Do you have anyone in your life who's always ready to put you first, who's always ready to listen to you, who always shows up? I mean, that's what this is, guys. I mean, sometimes you just need to show up. 
Do you realize that there are people in our church who are hurting? And there are people in our church who are lonely. And there are people in our church who are being tempted right now to shrink back, to give up. Who's going to show up for them? Who's going to show up for them and be gentle and not demanding? Who's going to show up for them and be humble and gentle and just listen, just be there to listen to them and to identify with them and to consider them better than yourself? Because that's, that's, what, that's what Paul did with this church. Paul was an intellectual, he was well-educated, he was accomplished. But many of the people he served were low-income, blue-collar, simple people. Many of them were poor. And yet Paul never treated them as if they were beneath him. He got down on their level, he used their language, he found common ground with everyone because he was all in. He didn't care where you were from, he didn't care how much money you made. If you were ready to follow Jesus, he was all in for you. And that's how I want to be. That's how I hope you want to be. So here's how the passage ends. Verse 11, Paul ends this passage by saying, And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. So what does it mean to live in a way that honors, that that's God would consider worthy? What does that even mean? There's a lot we could say about that, but I want to be specific today as we close the message, okay? Here's one thing Paul says about a worthy servant. Listen to this from Ephesians 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. I mean, I almost think this should be like the theme passage for the church this year. This passage right here. Imagine if we took this seriously. Imagine if we lived this out this year. How much it would change, how, how much power this word could have in our lives. Listen again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 what Paul said about a worthy servant. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Okay, Paul gives this passage, by the way, he's addressing issues of preference. Like people were arguing over what kind of food they should eat, whether or not they should drink certain things. You know, and these are issues of pref preference and conscience. Like one person feels strongly about something and someone else doesn't in the church. You might feel strongly about this, but I feel strongly about the other thing. You might lean one way politically. I lean the other way. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know the friend. You have the friend on Facebook whose posts make your skin crawl. You know who I'm talking about. But they're a Christian. They're your brother and sister in Christ. So what do you do? Here's what you do. You always do what's best for them. That's it. You don't do what's best for yourself. You do what's best for them. 
You, you, you ready yourself to make a lot of room in your life for their faults. <laughs> you get ready to listen to people who annoy you. And you listen long and hard. You laid your rights down for their sake. You consider them and their needs more important than your own. How does the church put Jesus on display? By doing what's best for others. By doing what's best for others in the family of God and in the world. All right, that's where our power is. Paul lived the way he did because he was imitating Jesus. He was, imi- he was just imitating Jesus. Jesus was bold, not timid. Jesus was not interested in praise from people. He was only interested in praise from God. Jesus was gentle, not demanding. Jesus once said, Let me teach you because I am gentle and humble at heart, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus was humble. Jesus was gentle. Jesus was worthy. And here's how Jesus showed his worth. Jesus went all in for us. Jesus laid his life down for us. Jesus sacrificed himself in his prime for us. He was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was humiliated. He was beaten. He was crucified for you. Jesus didn't do what was best for him. Jesus did what was best for us. Jesus went all in for sinners. Jesus went all in for the enemies of God. And because Jesus did that, you and I are free. We are here. We are new. We are a family because Jesus did all of that. And that means that God wants us to go all in for each other. Do you think that Jesus died on the cross and purchased the church with his own blood so that we could bicker over politics and preferences? No. Do you think Paul poured his life out to establish churches so that they could go halfway or invest in each other and love each other as long as it was convenient and didn't cost them anything? No. Listen, my friends. Here's what I want you to remember from today, okay? There is really only one way to do relationships in God's family. It's to go all in. Put yourself out there. Open your life up. Share your life with others, even if it hurts. Because that's what Jesus Christ did for us. That's what makes us the church. So what would that look like for you this week? What would it look like for you to go all in for the church? What would it look like for you to go all in for your neighbors? What would it look like for you to do what's best for others? Would you go home and ask God that question today? Would you ask God that question with sincerity, with an open heart, without conditions? Would you put yourself in front of God today and say, God, I'm not in this for me anymore. All right? I'm not doing my relationships because of what's in it for me anymore. I want to go all in for others because that's what you did for me. God, what can I do for someone this week? Who can I call this week? Who can I show up for this week? 
How can I go, go all in in the name of Jesus? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is alive and active and that your spirit is alive in us. And God, may you make us a church that is all in for each other and all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, may we be sincere. May we be authentic. May we be bold. May we be worthy. God, we thank you for everyone who's here today. We thank you for everyone who's watching. And we thank you for the people you're sending us to. And we pray that you would make us a bold church that is ready to talk about Jesus and ready to make allowances for others' faults and ready to do what's best for others. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much, church, for being here today. Remember, next week we're still at two services, 9 and 1030. And uh, I'm going to leave you with the benediction today from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. You can stand and uh, bow your heads with me. Please hear these words about Jesus today. They're so powerful. From 1 Peter chapter 2. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's our example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Amen. May you have a wonderful Sunday, and we will see you again soon.